It's still morning. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you all and great to be with you as we uh, start to adjust to the reality that we are pulling out. We are coming out of this season that we've been uh, plowing through for a year or more. And uh, we can really start thinking quite um, realistically about the fact that very soon um, we will be out of the other side of what's been a really testing and challenging time for many of us. And um, <clears throat> what I want to just sort of speak about today is really how we continue to build strength as we come out of a tough season. And, uh, you know, we, uh, I know that God has all sorts of amazing promises and plans and purposes for you as a church. And I, I hear about these things and I know you're very... Uh, diligent in looking at that, but uh, that all comes out of having built a very strong platform, really putting our roots down strongly here, uh, building uh, with great strength together as a spiritual community in this place, as God then sends us on in all these different ways. So that's what we want to look at today. Just want to encourage us, we are going to get through this. We are nearly at the end of the tunnel. Um, you know, I, I, Rachel and I have taken our kids all over Europe, um, we like to, to uh, well, when they were younger, we would like to go and visit many of the places where we had connections in Sweden and Serbia and, uh, and beyond and so on. And that would often take us through some very, very, very long road tunnels. And, you know, you could tell, you know, they're all chatting away and having a laugh in the back of the car. And then the minute we hit the tunnel, it would go quiet in the back. And then it would be, um, how long are we going to be in this tunnel for? <laughs> it's all right, you know. Um, not, and uh, I mean, there's one of these tunnels we went through, Mont Blanc. I don't know if you've been through that tunnel. It's about, I don't know, 10 or 12 kilometers long. It's quite a long one, you know. And you've got the heft of this mountain over your heads <laughs> as you go through the tunnel, you know. And so you're halfway through the tunnel and this, you know, and, and the kids are going, how much longer are we going to be in here for? And, oh, don't worry, we'll be through it soon. And then, uh, and then you know you're coming through to the end of it. You still can't see the end of the tunnel, but you know you're close to the end. And the kids are saying, how much longer? They say, we're nearly there. We're nearly there. And that is what we can say to each other today. All right? We are nearly there. Amen? Yeah. All right? We're nearly through. And we're going to come bursting out into the daylight. going to take a while for us to find our feet. But uh, people just want to get on with life, don't they? They just want to get on with things. And so we're going to be uh, rejoicing in functioning again. Uh, in all the ways that we love to function as, as a people of God in this place. So I'm going to look at uh, some encouragement for us as we emerge from a tough season. If you've got your Bibles there, turn to Colossians in chapter 2. I'm going to be uh, reading from uh, the first seven verses. Paul is writing to uh, the churches in, in Colossae and Laodicea. They've been through a time of trial and, and testing, um, spiritual shaking, and uh, he's writing to encourage them and strengthen them and, and get them through this tough season. So he says in uh, verse 1 of chapter 2, he says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and I delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So this is Paul's encouragement, okay? His goals for a church that has been through a tough season. What are these goals? Well, we should have goals as we come out from a tough season. We might have goals, how are we going to re-promote the church? Um, you know, what are our goals for evangelism as we come out of this season, reaching the community, different community programs, how are we going to use our buildings, um, goals for worship, what, it should, you know, what is this going to be like in our new normal and so on. But Paul doesn't refer to any of these. Okay, they are important. I'm not saying these are not important things to think about, but that's not what Paul has in mind. He's got different goals in mind. And uh, these are some of the, the goals that we read about. Number one, our goal is to be encouraged in heart. That is one of Paul's goals. Go through a tough time, let's encourage one another in our hearts. He uses the word for encouragement, commonly used word paracoline, sometimes used to comfort, sometimes used to exhort, always used in the sense of enabling one another to meet a difficult situation with confidence and strength is one of the indicators of mature faith that we're strong when times are tough, okay? Let's listen to the, uh, we haven't got the words for this, I'll read it out from Habakkuk chapter 3. Here's the, uh, the prophet Habakkuk, he says this, Though the fig tree does not bud, there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. This is a bad day, all right? This was tough. What does Habakkuk say? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Now, that's not some platitude. That's not some happy, clappy, superficial thing. That's a man who knows where his strength is. Yeah? He knows where his roots are. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The sovereign Lord is my strength. That's a man who knows he's not, the, you know, he's, he's not orientated or defined by the things that go around, on around him. He's orientated and defined by his relationship with God. That's his point of reference. That's his anchor. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. You know, he's rising above this now. He's off. You know, he enables me to tread on the heights. That's amazing. You know, he's strengthened. Habakkuk is strengthened because of his confidence in God. He knew God's character. He knew God loved him. He knew God was faithful. So no matter what the outward circumstances, and by all accounts, it was pretty grim what Habakkuk is describing here. He, he knew what was true, and he knew what to put his confidence in, and this is what God, this is, what God is, is offering us, and this is what Paul is encouraging us to do. Strength, be strong in your heart. Friends, we must remember, those of you here who are followers of Jesus... Okay, if you're someone who wouldn't consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, just listen in for a moment. Okay, those of us who have given our trust and our heart to Jesus have been born again by the Spirit of God. We are not of this world. 
Okay? We are we're in this world, the Bible tells us, but we're not of this world. We've been born again by the Spirit of God. We're new creations. We're new creatures of a new nation. And this world is very fortunate to have us. <laughs> that sounds a bit arrogant, Morris. They are very fortunate. Colchester is very fortunate to have followers of Jesus who are going to point towards Jesus and say to people, you know, there's a way out of this world. Of course it's a broken world because of the devastation of our own rebellion against God, our own sin. But there is a way out. We know that the, the, the calamity of the world is a moral calamity of sin, of rebellion against God. And we have the answer to that calamity, which is the gospel of grace through Jesus Christ. And Colchester, for as long as they have you, are very fortunate to have you. Because you're there to show the way. Be the ambassadors of Christ. So we're not from here. So we can be in the midst of all of these calamitous circumstances, and it is tough. I'm not pretending that it's not tough. It is tough. But we are able to step back in our spirits and say, but you know what? We're just passing through. Real life is waiting for me. Yeah? And for people who are not walking with Jesus, this is all they've got. They've just got to try and tough it out and hope they can have all of the, the holidays and things that they dreamed of doing before they snuff it. We're thinking, you know what? Well, you know, we're not bound by these fears or limitations. Death is a monster and an imposter that robs us of everything that we're created to be and to have. And Jesus Christ has conquered death. And so I'm not bound by these things. All fears, here's a throwaway really, all fears ultimately come down to a fear of dying. You know? Suffer from uh, claustrophobia. Actually, why? Because I don't want to be trapped in space. Why? Because I might not get out. Why? Because I might die. You know, all fears ultimately come back to the fear of death. And death has been conquered. It's followed up in victory. Hallelujah. <laughs> we're just passing through folks be strengthened in your heart come on we're the ones here who should be able to look around at the world and say it's okay we know we know we're going to get through this you know we're not worried I hear what I'm saying I'm not belittling it here many of you today have been through some very difficult times and it has been exhausting emotionally exhausting physically exhausting mentally trying Let's encourage, let's find ways to encourage one another in our hearts. Focus on these things. It's very easy to be distracted by difficulties and differences of opinion and what about this and what about that. Don't let that happen. Focus on the ways you can encourage each other in our hearts. Secondly, Paul says, so that's his first goal. His second goal is that we would be united in love. If there is one hallmark of the people of God... It should be this. People will know you're my disciples because of how you love one another. You, know, you don't have to tell people the gospel. They'll see it because of the, the quality. There is a, a quality of a community of love that God has initiated and desires that is not going to be commonly found in the world, if at all. That's, that is what Paul is saying. Be united in love. Even a casual reading of scripture will quickly convince you 
that one of the outstanding hallmarks of the church is that we learn to love each other in a way that might not be commonly found in the world. Okay, without such love, you know, differences can easily divide and uh, destroy the church when conflicts arise, you know. But Paul said, no, I want you, this is to be the place where you are loved and accepted. Now, this is the, the, very, the shameful thing for the church of Jesus Christ over many, many centuries, is that is not the reputation the church always has. It's to our shame. We've not represented Christ. God so loved the world that he gave, you know. But that's not always been the way the church, the church has presented itself. But that's not what we're building here. You know, what, what we want to build here in Colchester is, is a place where the reputation is that it's one of the first places that think, people think of when they need to go and find help, when they want to find love and acceptance. Not the last place. You know, I always remember the story, those are the name you won't remember. Some, some with grey hairs might remember the name of, of Tony Campolo. And he, and he was uh, ministering among some uh, la uh, lady street workers. And, and they were having some, and, and they said, uh, one of them was talking about their problems. He said, well, have you thought about going to church? He said, why would I want to go to church? That's the last place I'd think of going. And you're thinking, that is not the reputation that we, we, want, we want people to think of that. You know what? Yeah, no, I know the church is a place of love and acceptance. You know, that this is where I'm going to be embraced and cared for. And that's what we want to build here. That, that you know, this is, we, through the love of Christ, we introduce people to their Father in heaven. And they start to build that connection and start to recognize their need of him and reconcile their relationship with him through repentance and faith, and then we can clean them up and raise them up and send them out. That's what we're looking, you know, Paul is looking for that sort of community of love. Love in the church is such an amazing power, you know, the, the, some of the characteristics of, of love. Number one, you know, we treasure each other. This is, we're the people of God. These are your blood brothers and sisters. And we learn to treasure one another. That's, what, that's one of the hallmarks of love, that you come into this room and you're not just fulfilling an obligation or attending a meeting. You've come to be with your family and you treasure them. You know, I absolutely treasure the people in my church family. And uh, that is one of the hallmarks of love. You don't just tolerate people. <laughs> you don't just bear with them and grit your teeth and can't wait to get out, you know. No, these are with each other, so you better get used to it, all right, okay? Okay, but we, we treasure, that's what, that's what love is, we treasure each other. You know, we, we focus on each other's best attributes, not always focus on their weakest attributes, you know? We, we, we celebrate one another's gifts, you know, don't get jealous. We gather around each other when there's times of sadness or loss. We allow, we allow, we allow each other to have a bad day, okay? We all have bad days. Yeah? Or is that just me? <laughs> all right, that's okay. Let each other have a bad day every now and then. Don't judge, you know, it's all right. We have bad days, bad weeks. No, we love each other. We treasure each other. We think the best of each other. We're going to get you through. Come on. You know, we're not going to hold you to a bad day. You know, quick to forgive each other. Intentionally kind towards each other. Proactively kind. Defending each other in public and in private. You know, I love the fact that 
that Paul, you know, he speaks about the love of God. Love always protects. I love that verse, you know. I am so grateful I'm under the protection of the love of God. He protects my well-being, but he protects my reputation. You know, he always speaks well of me. And that's the sort of love he's looking for, you know, in public and in private, that we speak well of one another, we defend one another's reputation. If we hear someone speaking, we say, oh, no, 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 let's try to understand it from their point of view, whatever it might be. Husbands, you speak well, you speak well of your wives in public and in private. Wives, you speak well of your husbands in public and in private. You speak well of your kids. Kids speak well of your parents. You know, this is love. This is what love does. Love thinks the best, you know? And dwell on the, the shortcoming. You know, love is willing to do things different to your own preferences. So this is uh, what Paul is looking for. He said, come on, strengthened in heart, united in love. This is how we get through tough times. And then he goes on to this, he says this, he says, our goal is to be characterized by knowledge and understanding. In fact, he says something, he says, actually, these things, being united in uh, in love and strengthening heart lead to the fact that uh, you know that we will access the full riches of complete understanding. It says that in uh, let me just uh, yeah. Um, so that that's the, the the linking phrase. My goal is they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. So it's quite interesting how he considers we access full understanding. But you know he's he's talking about. The, 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 all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You know, so in other words, as we grow um, as mature believers and a mature church, uh, strengthened in heart and united in love, we grow into uh, the knowledge and understanding of all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, which are found in Christ. That's where all the wisdom uh, the treasure of wisdom and knowledge is found. It's found in Christ. It's not found in the website of your favorite blogger. It's not found in your favorite YouTube channel. It's not found in your celebrity Christian speaker that you always like to buy their books and listen to what they've got to say. As helpful as that is, I'm not saying it's not helpful, but that's not where it's found. It's not found in the streetwise, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, but uh, that's maybe what they all tell you, but actually I know the real truth. It's not found in conspiracy theories. It's not found in controversies, which the Bible says we should avoid these things. All, you want to get wise, you want to know all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, you will find them in Christ. What does that mean? That means you eat this for breakfast, lunch and dinner. And you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Enlivened by the spirit of Christ so that you learn to think like Christ. Yeah. Abide in him and let his words abide in you. Let his word live in you. Let his words speak to you every day. Let his words inform the way you think, the way you speak, the, the attitudes you hold, the appetites you have. More and more, day by day, conform to the likeness of Christ. That's our goal. That's our goal here, is that we present one another mature before Christ that we are learning to think like Jesus. Why? Because in Christ is where all the treasures of mysteries of understanding are found. They're not found 
in clever websites. They're not found in the latest conference that you might attend. They're not found in any of these things. They're found in Christ. I'm, I'm not diminishing all of those. All these things help us if they're directing us to Christ. But ultimately, that's what we're doing. We are learning the wisdom of God, which is Christ. The mystery of God, which is Christ. The treasures of all knowledge and understanding, which is Christ. And we learn to think like Christ and we train our minds. to This is our great goal. You know, knowledge, this sort of knowledge in Christ gives substance to our faith. If we don't have this knowledge, if we're not growing in this knowledge, all we have to rely on are opinions, emotions, social media. That's all we've got to rely on in order to evaluate wisdom. If we don't have this knowledge, then we haven't got the stable. This knowledge stabilizes us in times of testing. Yeah, when we know that God's promises give us something to hold on to in the times of struggle. This sort of knowledge enables us to interpret the Bible accurately. The best way to understand what the Bible says is to read the, what the Bible says about itself. You know? And uh, you know, so often we just take a little bit. You know, we've got our favorite verses. Well, read all of it and you'll see where that all fits in. It all, it all, it all interprets each other. It, it, just to comment on this very quickly, um, just a little aside. Um, I, I use the English Standard Version. That's the, the, the version I use for preaching because I find it's technically the most reliable. For my devotions, I use the NIV because that was the Bible I grew up with. My, uh, my disciples grew up with the King James. You know, devotionally, that's the, the terms of phrase that I'm familiar with and so on and so forth. Sometimes I might use something like the message, which is a paraphrase. It's not a translation. It's someone trying to just put uh, things into... Um, contemporary English idiom and uh, metaphor and so on. But I don't use, it's not a translation, I don't rely on it as an authoritative translation, but it helps me sort of say, oh, right, okay, that, that illuminate, sort of uh, brings some colour and texture to what I'm reading here. There is a very recent translation, or it poses as a translation that has come out, called the Passion Translation. I just want to just say a little bit of word of caution on that. The reason I mention this is that it's, it's been quite strongly embraced by some very high-profile networks, um, and it's not a translation. It, it, it claims to be a translation. It's not. It's one guy's idea of what he thinks the Bible should say. That's <laughs> what it is. So he's, uh, he's basically said, oh, you know, I've had a visitation, and I think this is what the Bible should say. That's what the Bible writer's meant to say. That's not a translation. It's not even a paraphrase. That's what one bloke thinks the Bible should say. All right? And uh, so hold it very lightly, please. It's being quite strongly used in some arenas. I'm just sounding a little fatherly bell of caution. It's not actually a proper translation. I wouldn't even call it a paraphrase. It's, it's something a bloke would like the Bible to say. Um, one bloke who's not even a scholar just had a revelation from heaven. I, there's another Bible written by a guy like that. His name is Joseph Smith. It didn't end well, all right? <laughs> Knowledge helps us to detect and confront error. This knowledge, the word of Christ dwelling in us, so we're thinking like Christ, we have the mind of Christ, it equips us to... What happens over time as you imbibe the word of God, as you let the word of God abide in you, is you sort of become instinctively tuned to sniff out error. You know, so you hear something and you think, hmm, I don't, I don't, it doesn't sound right. It's not necessarily that you suddenly have chapter and verse, but it's like, 
you, you start to think, ooh, no, hang on, I'm not sure that lands well. I'll go away and have a think about that. I'm going to go and read my sources and see, is that right? You know? um, this is what the, this knowledge does for us. It sort of equips us to, dis, to, 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 to deal with error because we're starting to think like Jesus. So important that the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's where knowledge and understanding is found. That's where the mysteries are unlocked. It goes on, you know, uh, this is, uh, it goes on to Paul's fourth point where he says that our goal is to be discerning in difficult times. Now, we're in a difficult time, or we're pulling out of a difficult time at the moment. There are a thousand voices out there. A thousand people telling you what you should be thinking and what you should believing, uh, be believing. Everybody an expert in their own eyes. Everybody referencing someone who knows someone who knows, you know, who's an expert. How do we pick our way through this? How do we discern our way through this? In verse 4, you know, Paul says, I'm telling you this about you know, discovering the treasures of the mystery of knowledge and understanding in Christ. He said, I'm telling you this because so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. There are a lot of fine-sounding arguments on YouTube at the moment. Yeah? See to it that no one... This is verse 8. We didn't read through to it, but if you were to read the, the chapter on to the, the following verse, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and on the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. 2 Timothy 4, the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They'll turn away from the truth and aside to myths. Not everybody that sounds like an expert is an expert. Okay? So you need to do, you know, you need to learn how to discern. Part of it is, we've already said, is growing knowledge. And you learn to sniff out error. But also, you've got to be wise. You know, when you, you know, I find it extraordinary when people say, you know, oh, yeah, well, you know, this, this scientist who's been gagged, you know, he clearly is the one who's telling the truth about everything else, and everybody else is lying to us. You know, you think, really? You know, that's extraordinary. You know, dear friends, very, very well-educated, sound friends in churches in other nations of Europe, saying, well, Morris, you've got to be careful. You know, you're having that vaccine, but that's only because you've been brainwashed into taking that vaccine. You've been told that that's what you've got to do. Think, really? I thought it was a good idea, actually, you know. <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, if you're not listening to, listen, we can't trust the authorities, well, who are you trusting then? Who are you trusting then? You know? Okay, no, obviously there are many cases through history where authorities could not be trusted. That's why you've got to learn to be discerning. Do I think that my government is deliberately trying to mislead me and feed me uh, disinformation for whatever motive they might have? You know, actually, I don't think so. Are they actually doing... They're, they're fallible men and women with blurred motives actually trying to do the best to protect us and get us through a difficult season. That's what I think. Honestly, I think that. You know? And um, I'm not asking you to agree with me on that, but I'm just saying each one of us has got to figure it out. You've got to discern it. Figure out... What, what does this mean? You know, who do I trust and how do I trust them? Well, there's, there's ways you can measure and evaluate that. You've got to learn how to, to do that. First of all, 
We've already discussed it. You know, secondly, I tend to think, particularly in the, in the Christian world, if I'm thinking, am I going to trust what you're saying? I like to know how does it work out for you in practice. That's what I like to know. How does it work out? You know, you're sitting there looking very impressive on the platform or on your YouTube channel. How's it working out for your wife and kids at the moment? I want to know that. You know, that's why when, when you know, Paul is recommending uh, you know, men uh, as, as elders and men and women as deacons to have responsibility in the life of the church, you evaluate their life. Yeah, what's their reputation with outsiders? How do they treat their kids? You know, are they easily angered? I want to know what it's like. And so there's quite a relationship between what you accept to be true or who you give authority to and what you know about them. These two are actually quite closely related. Most particularly in Jesus, who says, you know, I am the way. I am the truth. You know, the truth. In, ultimately, truth is a relationship. And so I think who we, who we relate to and who we give authority to, I think there are ways in which we evaluate and measure that rather than they look quite impressive. What have they built? What have they created? Are they just forever tearing things down or are they trying to build something up? What's the ultimate uh, point of their, their, uh, their bleating? You know, is it... Uh, uh, anyway... Our goal is to be disciplined in our discipleship, Paul goes on to say. You know, I'm, I, he said, I'm, I'm uh, away from you in body and present with you in spirit. We've been using that verse a lot over the last year, haven't we? Uh, but I delight to see how orderly you are. That's a great verse for a garrison town like Colchester. You know, this is a word about military discipline. This is, hey, you're, you're in order. You're not all just running off and doing your own thing. What you don't want when the enemy attacks, what you don't want when you're under pressure is uh, everybody just suddenly decide they're going to go off and do their own thing. That's not how armies work, right? That's not how it works in an army. You don't say, right, here comes the enemy, and everybody goes, right, every man for himself, and off you go. No, you know, there's discipline. You say, no, we're working together. Let's pull together. Let's close ranks. Let's, you know, each play our part, and then we can get through this. And Paul's saying, I'm really impressed with how orderly you are and, uh, you know, that's a word to us. Come on, let's pull together in this. Let's, we're going to get through this together. We're not just going to go off and do our own thing, running for the, the hills. He's commending a community, pulling together, keeping its discipline, keeping its shape, not letting the enemy separate us with fears and divisions and opinions. And we all have our part to play in making that happen. And then he goes on, uh, to the, he calls us to be, consistent in our daily living in verses 6 and 7 you know he's saying you know continue to live your lives in him you know rooted and built up in him you know continue in him I think this is a really important um, I think this is over the years I I think this is a really important indicator of spiritual maturity people are going on in their faith this is a very very important indicator you know are they consistent? Uh, are they consistent in public and in private? You know, what you see is what you get. Or are they different when they're out of the, uh, the spotlight? You know, um, do your children at home see a different version of you to the one they see when you're jumping about with your mates? Whatever, you know, what, that, that, that's one element of consistency is... Uh, how we are in public and in private. But also, another element of consistency is how, how well do we do when the pressure's on? You know, how well do we really do when the pressure's on? It's very easy to be a successful Christian 
when everything's going well. Yeah? And we can look the part and say the words and do the business. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, bang, the cost is down. Now what comes out? I'm not saying this in a, please, I'm not saying this in a sort of a, I say this is the case for all of us, you know. Well, now, am I the same person now the pressure is on? Am I still expressing my trust in Christ? Am I still standing firm? Am I still believing him? Am I still able to bring my fears to him? Am I able to find my comfort in him? Or am I pressed back to all the things I did before I met him? And all, I let all these fears to run rampant. And I find all different ways to comfort myself. And I reach for all the old things I reach for, the ways I behaved, the things I consumed with my eyes or with my, my mouth or whatever it might be. You know, that's what Paul is saying here. No, no, continue. Be consistent when the pressure is on. And that's why a year like this, actually, you know, we don't like, we've not enjoyed this year. We'd rather not have this year. I think God... You know, I'm not saying, I'm not going to get into the discussion of did God cause this or not cause it, but God takes all things and uses it for his good. And most of us only really learn the deep things of God when the pressure is on. And so we want to grow in spiritual fruit. Well, God is looking at this season and saying, what a great opportunity for you all to grow in spiritual fruit. <laughs> we say, yeah, thanks a lot. No, you know. I've appointed you to be fruitful. You didn't choose me. I chose you to bear fruit. Fruit that will endure. Love and patience and kindness and self-control and all of these things that we know. And here comes a year that you'd rather steer around if you could. But I'm thinking I can use this year to really bring out this fruit in your life. Aren't you grateful for that? Yeah. Thanks a lot, God. Don't be bent out of shape, okay? Be consistent. Be the person you are in private as you are in public. Be the same sort of uh, joy-bringing, life-loving Christian when the pressure is on. Not in an artificial or superficial way, but because all of this that we've read about is true. That you're rooted in him. That you're strengthening the heart. You're united. You're deepening in your knowledge and understanding. And then finally, as we bring this into a close, and this is so important, that we are, our goal is to be overwhelmed <laughs> with gratitude. That's where Paul ends with this. And friends, this is where we should always end. That we know what it means to be overflowing with thankfulness. Again, not in a trite way, but in a deeply considered way. You know, C.S. Lewis says there's a, there's a type of joy that, 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 that makes us very serious. You know, actually think, this is amazing. This is amazing that God should love us. In, and our, our, our gratitude overflows. You know, this is the result of being rooted and built up in him and strengthened in the faith, faith is that we have this growingly overwhelming sense of gratitude. As you mature in the faith, something surprising happens. You become even more grateful than you were at first. I was very grateful when God saved me. Part of the trajectory of mature Christian living is I'm going to get more and more grateful that he saved me. Yeah? Because I understand more than I did before. 
I understand more about how awesome and great God is. I understand more about his holiness and his power and his purity. I understand more about the fact that he's done everything necessary to make it possible for me to be delivered from this broken world and from my broken self. That I am redeemed and delivered, not through anything that I have done to deserve this, but because of God's great mercy and God's great love. I'm very grateful. And this is one of the hallmarks of growing through tough times. You know, how grateful we should be that the mature Christian doesn't become more fearful or rigid or opinionated. Actually, the mature Christian, the mature believer becomes softer, more humble, and much more grateful. That's the trajectory you're, you're looking for, you know? That's the evidence that you are, this, all these things we've just spoken about, you're taking the heart and you're growing in Christ and you're maturing in your faith. So as we emerge from this tough season, and I'm finishing with this, Paul says our goal is to be encouraged in heart, united in love, growing in knowledge and understanding, discerning in difficult days, disciplined in discipleship, consistent in daily living and overwhelmed with gratitude, let's remember to be a grateful church. Yeah, It's easy to be grateful when things are going well. Let's remember to be grateful when things are not going so well. It's important to remember, be overflowing. He's still the same God. Yeah, he, This salvation is as glorious as ever. You know, we still have a wonderful destiny ahead of us. His grace is still amazing. We still have his power and presence with us. In every moment of life, his love is still overwhelming. The enemy is still defeated and will remain so. Hallelujah. Jesus is the victor and will remain so. The king is on the throne. Our father is pouring out his love in our hearts by his spirit. We are overflowing with thankfulness. Amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you very much for your attention. Let's worship and uh, bring our time to a close.